One of the things we want to do when we're together and here on Sunday mornings is give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, most of you know Jackie Robertson. Jackie has for 37, more than 37 years, been the leader of our Prime Timers Bible class. And what that means is for every Sunday, I don't know that Jackie's even ever missed a Sunday in over 37 years, but he greets the class, he leads the class in song, he delivers and serves the coffee. Uh, Jackie is just that guy in our Prime Timers class. And like I said, has been for almost 38 years. Think about this, the last time the Bengals were in the Super Bowl in the 80s, Jackie had already been serving that class for five years. And so, Jackie, would you allow us to say thank you this morning to you? Thank you so much, brother. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Jackie, your, your faithfulness and your devotion not just to that group of people, but to this church and to the word of God inspires us. Thank you so much. Thank you. What amazes you? Does anything amaze you? Or does everything amaze you? Or has everything been so amazing for so long that nothing is really amazing anymore? How many times have you heard the word amazing in the last 24 hours? How many times have you said the word amazing? For 46 straight years, Lake Superior State University up in Michigan has published what they call the words banned from the Queen's English for misuse and overuse. And a couple of years ago, they put amazing at the top of their list. Now, I'll be hanged if I'm going to let anybody up in Michigan tell me how to talk. But they may be onto something with this word amazing. Listen to what they wrote. This was a couple of years ago. People use amazing now for anything that is nice or good or heartwarming. In other words, for things that are not amazing. This word, which once aptly described the process of birth, is now being used to describe such trivial things as toast and the color of a shirt. Hair is not amazing. Shoes are not amazing. Amazing is defined as causing great or astonishing surprise or sudden or overwhelming wonder. It is horribly misused and grossly overused and should be banished from the English language. Several years ago, I was at a preaching seminar down in Austin, and Ben Witherington, who is a world-famous theologian and author, he was speaking one day. I'll never, I'll never forget this. He leaned, leaned into the microphone at one point, and he's got this voice like James Earl Jones. He sounds like Mufasa when he talks, or like Darth Vader, depending on what kind of mood he's in and what kind of mood you're in. But in the middle of his sermon, and I can't remember for the life of me what he was preaching, but he leaned into the microphone, and he said, Cheeseburgers are not awesome. Only God is awesome. And he's right. And I bet he would say the same thing today about the word amazing. Amazing is overused. 
Everything's amazing. Pay attention to the Super Bowl tonight and count how many times you hear people say the word amazing. In fact, you could turn that into a game at your Super Bowl party tonight. Every time somebody on TV says the word amazing, everybody has to eat a pig in the blanket or something. You know, whatever you've got. Or better than that, here's what you do. Have everybody at your party before the game starts guess and write down how many times you're going to hear the word amazing on the TV. And then every time you hear it, everybody at your party has to put a quarter into a jar. And then at the end of the game, whoever guessed most gets to win all that money. And bring that jar to church next Sunday and put it in those offering boxes that are outside the exits here at the worship center. Amen? Amen. All right. Come and see. Why? Come and see Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh and blood of a human being. Jesus came to this earth to show us who God really is and what God is really all about and what God is doing and why he's doing it and to show us where everything is headed. In his own words, Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father, right? In John 12, the people say, we would like to see Jesus. Yeah, well, we would too. We would love to see Jesus because when we see Jesus, we see God and we understand God in his fullness. The invitation today is to come and see Jesus amaze. Our Lord Jesus is a miracle worker. He works miracles all the time. It's one of the things he does. And when he performs miracles, it truly is amazing. In Mark chapter 1, this is Jesus' very first miracle in the gospel of Mark. And they're in the middle of the church. They're, they're in the middle of the service. They're at the synagogue in Capernaum. Jesus is right in the middle of his sermon. And some man possessed by an evil spirit just begins to cry out. And Jesus drives that spirit away with just a word. And verse 27 says, the people were all so amazed. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus heals a man who is paralyzed. And verse 12 says, this amazed everyone. And they praised God. Mark chapter 5, Jesus drives the legion of demons out of that naked guy in the cemetery. And verse 20 says, all the people were amazed. Mark chapter 6, Jesus appears to his disciples in the middle of the lake. He is walking on top of the water. And verse 51 says, they were completely amazed. We're not amazed by anything anymore. Have you noticed that? I guess when everything's amazing, nothing's amazing. I mean, somebody in this room could see the face of Jesus in a tortilla at lunch today, and I think we'd just blow it off. You know, somebody is seeing Jesus in their lunch every other week on the 700 Club, and we don't pay attention to it much. Nothing's amazing anymore. But when Jesus performs his miracles, it's amazing. Matthew chapter 15, it says, The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Now, I need to remind all of us right here that not everybody was amazed when Jesus performed his miracles. Not everybody cheered. When somebody got healed, remember in John 9 when Jesus spit in the dirt and he healed uh, the blind man by putting the dirt on his eyes? Not everybody was thrilled with that. Remember the religious people got ticked off 
And there were depositions and there were court orders and arrest warrants. And when they called in the healed man's parents to testify, they threw him under the bus. And then the church disfellowshipped the healed guy. Remember that? Why would people get mad at one of Jesus's miracles? That's a question I've got. Well, remember, Jesus came here to this earth to show us God. He came so we could really see God. And so Jesus is not doing a bunch of good deeds right here. He came so we could see. Jesus' miracles are signs. They're pointing us to God. And so the question this morning is, what are we supposed to see when we see Jesus amazed? And the first thing I think we're supposed to see is the amazing authority of God over all things. When Jesus amazes, he's showing us who's boss. He's declaring the king is here. The the ruler has arrived with power and authority over all the other powers and authorities you might be presently following or chasing or worshiping. These miracles are about God's ultimate authority. They're about his truly amazing power. Think about that. With only one or two exceptions at the most, the people Jesus healed, they were strangers. He didn't know them. They didn't know him. We we don't know anything about them. We don't really know their stories. There's no follow-up to the miracles. You've noticed that, right? Listen, the scripture is not concerned about the people Jesus healed. The emphasis is on Jesus. The spotlight is on Jesus. Jesus and the authority of God. You can't find any formula. You can't really find a a pattern or a set of rules or steps or requirements for getting healed. Every time Jesus healed, it was just this spontaneous, gratuitous exercise of his great power. The people who were healed had very little to do with it. And that unauthorized display of power, that unchecked demonstration of authority ticked some people off, mainly the church people. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is healing a, uh, a mute man, uh, a blind man, and Jesus heals him. He drives out the spirit. Now the man can talk. Now the man can see. The people are astonished. Verse 23, they're amazed. But the religious leaders, they're bent. They're mad. And Jesus says in verse 28, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What did I, I messed something up. I've I've preached ahead. I'm way ahead in my notes here. You're going to be happy about this. I think I've already jumped to the end of the sermon here. (laughs) I've really messed up. Luke 7, not Matthew 13. What's in Luke 7? That's where the guy gets healed. All right, here we go. I'm scared somebody's going to throw Gatorade on me. I guess that's not going to happen now. All right, here we go. All right, yeah, okay, this is it. Why are these people mad? Now I know where we are, okay? Church people getting ticked off, right? This is when John the Baptist sends his servants to ask, you know, Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we be looking for somebody else? And Jesus points to his miracles, right? He sends the guys back to John 
And he says, go back and report what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. Some other translations say, blessed is the one who's not offended by me or takes no offense in me. So again, the question is, why would people get mad when Jesus heals? I think that's weird. Right? On the surface. Who would get upset about that? I think it's because these public displays of Jesus' power and authority reminded people they were not in control. And church people like to be in control. Have you noticed that? And I think a lack of control is what ticked them off. The religious leaders, they're the ones who wanted to decide who got healed, who didn't get healed, and on what day of the week it would happen. And Jesus never asked for their permission He caused the lame to walk and the deaf to hear and the blind to see. And he just raised people from the dead. And he never one time asked the people in charge if that was okay. Those who were amazed praised the God of Israel. Those who were enraged tried to control Jesus by plotting to kill him. So Jesus' miracles are a demonstration of his power and authority over the power and authority of sin and death and Satan and humans, even religious humans. And we're okay with that, amen? Right? Well, that wasn't very uh, convincing. Even religious humans like us, okay? Jesus has power and authority over us. Jesus' miracles show us the amazing authority of God over us and over all things. And now here's the second point that I almost got ahead of myself on. These miracles also reveal to us the amazing arrival of the kingdom of God. See, in the Gospels, Jesus is never really amazed at his miracles. He never makes a big deal out of it. Now, we're amazed. We see Jesus heal somebody. We, we say, oh, this is, this is fantastic. This is outside the bounds of nature. What Jesus is doing here goes against what's norm. It goes against science. And so, we see a miracle as a break. In the natural order. But the Bible takes the position that miracles are natural. Miracles are normal now that Jesus is here and the kingdom of God has arrived. The most concrete thing Jesus ever said about his own miracles is in the middle of Matthew 12. That's that's where we were going here. Jesus drives out this demon, right? And now this guy who could not talk and he could not see, now he can talk and see. Verse 23 says the people are amazed. Here's what Jesus says, because the religious leaders are ticked off. He says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay, what are we supposed to see? We're supposed to see that with the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God has arrived. It's here. it's, It's already here. It's already happening. When Jesus comes, that is the kingdom of God. Earlier in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. He's, he's telling us that everything we thought we knew about the kingdom of God is actually just the opposite. And he says, you know, the poor and the persecuted are going to own the kingdom of God. Those who mourn, they're going to be comforted. The hungry and the thirsty, they're going to be stuffed to the gills. The meek are going to own everything. Jesus says, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, give without reservation, forgive without limits. And at the end of this revolutionary sermon... Verse 28, chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed 
at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. See, Jesus and his disciples were always accused of turning the world upside down. It looks more like to me he was turning the world right side up. And he punctuates his words about the arrival of the kingdom of God with miracles. Right after he finished preaching this revolutionary sermon on the mount, if you look at verse 1, chapter 8, it says, when he came down from the mountainside, he immediately starts healing people. First thing he did was heal a man with leprosy. Be clean. Very next story, Jesus heals the centurion's servant. Very next paragraph, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. That very evening, it says, he's driving out demons. Verse 17 says, he healed all the sick in that whole town. And Matthew says, look, this is what God was building to all along. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Still in this same chapter, Jesus calms the raging sea. The winds and the waves are tearing up the boat. This storm is threatening to destroy the people in the boat. And then Jesus, with just a word, he makes everything calm. Peace. Totally restored. Just a chapter or two later, we find more than 5,000 hungry people out in the desert. They don't have food. There's no H-E-B, not a Texas burger in sight. These people are going to starve. And Jesus provides the food, thousands of little fish sandwiches, I guess, and so much food, everybody was stuffed. They picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And as amazing as these miracles are, again, they're just signs. They're just pointing us to, to something so much bigger. These miracles are showing us that the kingdom of God has arrived these signs and wonders do point us to the truth of who Jesus is, but they also show us the direction the earth is headed now that Jesus is here. Jesus is not going against the laws of nature. He's not suspending reality or doing the supernatural. When Jesus does a miracle, he's actually restoring the natural order. Jesus is restoring everything to the way God always created and intended it to be. The winds and the waves were never created by God to kill people. Human bodies were never created by God to be sick or to be hungry. Calm seas are normal. Satisfied bellies are normal. When Jesus finishes a miracle, I think he steps back and he goes, wow, that's that's the way things are supposed to be. See, Jesus wants us to see what normal is. And I think for a lot of us, it's been so long, we have forgotten. We look around at the mess in this world, and it is a mess. Can I get an amen on that? We look at the mess in our own lives. Can I get a second amen on that? And sometimes we can think, that things have always been this way and things are always going to be this way. And you're wrong on both counts. Jesus wants us to see by his miracles that hunger and cancer and divorce are not normal. Addiction and homelessness and broken families, that's not regular. That's out of order. So are tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes and terrorists and hostages and mass shootings and war, and racism. Those are all the things that our Lord Jesus has come here to fix. And by the way, it's already started. We don't have to wait for it, church. It's already happening. 
And that is the church's prayer, right? That's what Jesus taught all of us to pray. You know this prayer because you pray it every week, right? Your kingdom come, say it with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. Jesus preaches the kingdom of God. Jesus declares the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. Here it is. It's right here. Look at it over there. He's always pointing it out. And so he proclaims the kingdom of God, but he also prays it. Lord, may your will be done on this earth just as it is in heaven. He prays it, and then he brings it. And it's so amazing when he brings it. Jesus heals diseases. Why? Because there aren't any hospitals in heaven. Jesus feeds people. Why? There's no hunger in heaven. He eats and he drinks with everybody without distinction. Why? Because there are no divisions between people or groups of people in heaven. He raises the dead because there are no cemeteries in heaven. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And I've got a couple of questions. One, are you praying that prayer? Because Jesus says, our Lord says, it's a good idea to pray that prayer. So are you praying it? But my second question is, are you bringing it? Are you bringing the kingdom of God to your part of the world? Because there is no hate in heaven. There is no revenge in heaven. There are no arguments, no suspicions, no wars. No violence, physical or verbal. No barriers, no divisions of any kind. No power grabbing, no mistrust, no complaining. You don't find any of those things in heaven. Can you find them in your own life? Can you find any of those things in your family? Can you find any of that in your church? What are you bringing? Are you bringing the kingdom of God or are you bringing some other different kind of thing to your family or to your church? To whatever part of Midland you happen to live in. Are you bringing the kingdom of God to the little league team that you coach or to the, the civic club to which you belong? That's, that's the question. Jesus proclaims it. He prays it. And then he brings it. And what we're supposed to see in Jesus' miracles is God's promised fulfillment of the kingdom of God and the fact that it's happening right now. It's kind of a back to the future thing, right? So like our God through Jesus Christ, he is restoring everything back to the way it was always created and intended by God to be. And he wants us to see it. And he wants us to lean into it. And he wants us to join it in our world where and when it's happening, so yes, we clothe the needy and we house the homeless. Why? Because there's no poverty in heaven. And we live in peace with all others. Why? Because there's no violence or war in heaven. And we love and we forgive and we sacrifice and we serve and we lift up the hopeless and we give life to the needy. Why? Because that's the way of our Father in heaven. That's our call as his disciples. That's that's the task for us. And now here's the other thing that we're supposed to see in the miracles. The amazing grace of our God to fix all things. Or better, let's change that. 
the amazing grace of our God to fix you and all of your things. Jesus' miracles are proof of God's amazing authority over all things. And we see the kingdom of God as it is restoring all things, but you're also supposed to see there is abundant and amazing grace for you in all of this. For you. Let's close in Luke 7, and I want you to turn there. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 7. This miracle doesn't get preached very much because it's so short, and I think preachers are always looking for big chunks of Scripture. I don't know why it is. I I don't hear this preached, but this story is so beautiful and so powerful to me. Jesus is walking, Luke 7. He's walking to this little town of Nain, and let me tell you, Nain is such a little town and it is so insignificant to history that scholars aren't even sure where it is this town is nothing but Jesus went there that says something to me does it to you Jesus goes to Nain and as he approached verse 12 as he approached the town gate a dead person was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, in that part of the world at this time, it's over for this poor woman. If you're a woman in this setting at this time back then, your husband dies, and then your only son dies, that's a death sentence for you too. It's over for you. This is a picture of utter hopelessness. In complete despair. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Death is the ultimate sign that our world is messed up. Sickness, too. Sickness kind of points to death. When we get sick, we're reminded, oh, man, this isn't lasting forever. You know, I'm going to die. Sickness and death are connected. And death is always hanging over us, right? We know we're going to die. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't always know how. But, man, it's always there. We're all going to die. And the fact that it's always there reminds us that this world is not the way God created it to be. Things are messed up. And Jesus says to this woman, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin. And those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. They said God has come to help his people. It's important that Jesus touched the coffin. He touched the coffin and everything got still. Our Lord Jesus touched the coffin and he stopped death in its tracks. That place death was going stopped when Jesus touched the coffin. 
according to the law, if Jesus touches that coffin, he is now unclean. He's defiled. It tarnished him. According to the law, touching that coffin made Jesus an outcast. It made him, at least temporarily, separated from God's people. And in a lot of ways, separated from God. But he did it anyway. He touched the coffin anyway. Jesus is so willing to identify with the situation. He purposefully walked into that awful circumstance. He didn't back away. He touches the coffin. He goes to the problem and he takes it into himself. He becomes one with your death. Whatever's killing you, whatever is threatening to kill you, whatever is stealing your joy, whatever is hijacking your hope, our Lord Jesus walks to it. He touches it. He identifies with it. He identifies with you and with your situation and he stops it cold. God in Christ has the amazing power to reverse the curse. God through Jesus has the amazing authority to fix everything that's broken in your life and to make right everything that's wrong in your world. He has the power and he has the authority, but praise the Lord above, he also has the resolute willingness and grace to do it for you. Come and see. That's the invitation. Come and see Jesus amaze. Come and see Jesus stand toe-to-toe right beside you against the most fundamental and formidable foe you're ever going to face and annihilate it with just a word. Come see Jesus do that for you. Don't cry, he says. Don't cry. Get up. Get up. And it's done. And the people, it says, are filled with awe. And they praised God. Now, here's the amazing truth. That through Jesus, blind people see, deaf people hear, and dead people are raised back to life. And that is amazing. Amen? Through Jesus, water gets turned into wine. A little boy's sack lunch becomes a feast for thousands and tax collectors start giving money away. It's truly amazing, amen? And through Jesus, the lost are found. And the desperate are given life and hope. It's amazing that the sinful are forgiven and they're restored and brought into the family of God. It's amazing, amen? Come and see Jesus. Come and see that renewal and restoration for you is not impossible. Resurrection and restoration for you is real in Jesus. Come. That's the invitation. God through Christ will restore you. He will forgive you. He will redeem you. Maybe you've come here today looking for a miracle. Maybe you're in desperate need of a miracle. Listen, God can do it. God wants to do it. 
He wants to take your life. He wants to take your very soul. He wants to take everything about you and everything that's going on around you. And he wants to make it whole again. He wants to make it exactly the way it was when he created you. He wants to bring to fruition every good thing he has intended for you. That miracle is yours. I promise. As God is my witness, it's yours. If you'll come to him. If you will give yourself to him. If you'll just come and see. What I want to do now is, is uh, I want to offer a time um, for you to come. Okay? Um, Gary, uh, not Gary, uh, Eddie. Eddie Lee and Carol, would y'all come up here? Eddie is one of our shepherds. Uh, Carol is his wife. And then Brandon and Diet. where are you? Would y'all... Would y'all also come up? And then Carrie Ann, would you join me up here? We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. It's one of the few things we can say truly is amazing. We're going to sing Amazing Grace. And listen, I want you to come so we can pray with you. If you're looking for that miracle, if you need somebody just to pray with you, to talk to the Lord about you, for you, with you, ask ask God through the name of Jesus for that miracle, we would be so honored to do that. We would love to do that with you this morning. If you just need some assurance, if you just need some comfort, if you just want to get something off your chest, if you just want somebody to hug you um, and tell you that God loves you, and that it is going to be okay and that the kingdom of God has arrived and, and all that change is happening around us. If we can help kind of give you something to look at, something to hang on to, we want to do that. We really do. Come and see Jesus. If you were to come, if you were to walk down that aisle, good night, this whole church might be amazed. You might be amazed. Part of this church family, part of you, might be put back together, might be made whole by the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus. Stand with me, church. Let's sing together.